0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Tanglin comes to an end, Hong Kong finally picks his Oscar pick, Netflix works with Xian Sono, and our films this week, The House of Us and My Hero Academia.
1: East West free. Oh. This Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us from his news desk in a battered but recovering Hong Kong after Typhoon Man Cut is Mr. Kevin Ma.
0: Hey there,
1: Paul. Hi, everyone. How's it going? So last time we spoke, sir, uh, you were in the middle of a, a typhoon, a major <laughs> one, um, and things kind of got
0: worse after that. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, my home faces uh southeast, and when a typhoon first comes, you look at the swirl, so to speak. Um, when the, when the first wave of typhoon hits, you only get the north wind. Um, and I believe when we were recording the wind, so when the typhoon passes, then it becomes south, right? Because you know it's like a circle. It, I think it goes counterclockwise. So by the time it I think we were done recording. The, the The wind was starting to shift to the east and that was starting to hit my window. And, and yeah, um, about two hours after we, stopped reco- we were done recording, um, I retreated back about five feet and got the hell off my sofa. And uh, yeah, but I retreated back about 10 feet and just stayed there for the rest of the afternoon looking at the window because I was like, I'm not going back to that sofa. So, So yeah, it was a little scary. A little
1: scary. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I was scared when we were doing it before, the recording beforehand, just from some of the wind noise, and I'm sure that uh, listeners will have uh, some thoughts of their own if they hear uh, the last episode. But, uh, you know, the day that followed uh, generated many a movie meme, I must say, because of the (laughs) difficulties that people were having uh, getting to and from work because the infrastructure was heavily impacted, and um, you know uh, people just they couldn't take the MTR they had difficulty getting buses taxis were surcharging prices and uber was using surge pricing and I read some reports where people were you know three hours getting to work and then turning around and leaving in another three hours getting home um, and then the memes started coming the you know mixing movies and images that people had taken from all the down trees and whatnot um about you know fangong
0: <laughs> the the struggle <laughs> to get back to work right yeah I mean, there was a lot of anger at the government because it was like wait a minute you know shenzhen announced that people shouldn't go to work the day after a the typhoon they announced that the day before a typhoon came uh, macau announced the same thing the day before the typhoon came like look next day is going to be huge like let's not go to work. And then Hong Kong's like, we don't have the power to do that. No, why wouldn't no, we can't do it? It was like, wait a minute, you're government. You could like tell non essential employees like guys it's dangerous, the MTR ain't running, no one's like the thing is, it's not just about like stopping you know getting you know getting people home. The thing is because the infrastructure was so impacted if you have society operating as normal it's a huge strain on an already impacted infrastructure they were so then their recovery was delayed because it was being overpacked overloaded by by passengers and it just wasn't going to work i mean i'm lucky because i live very close to work so i walk to work and even then i ran into some down signs and 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 down trees a building nearby had the um the, the crane on top of the building like bend down and the bamboo was almost falling down so they had to shut down this major major road that's down here it shut it down for 15 hours because they had to get a crane to get rid of it so monday it was definitely not back to normal yet and yet we were all forced to live like we were trying to live a normal life and were a lot of a lot of anger i'll tell you a lot of resentment um and it's like is working that, is the economy that important? Is it more important than people's lives? And you just wonder sort of the, what Hong Kong, the mentality of Hong Kong society. I mean, then you have a guy, yes, and I don't want to, it's not politics of it. I mean, it's just pure humanity, right? It's like pure humane policies. Um, there was a, 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 a businessman, uh, I think it was like the head of some association for factories or something yesterday came out and, and it was like, you know the number of public holidays in Hong Kong should be reduced from seventeen to twelve, because you know you guys are getting paid to be on holiday. What the hell? And and he's like, yeah, if I if I could get money for not working, I should go work too. Like it's that kind of mentality that still drives Hong Kong that that work your bo- work you to the bone just for the, the economy, and it's quite tiresome actually, to be honest. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, on on the plus side, I think that uh, if something is to be learned it's that you know typhoons aren't just uh hooray it's a it's a typhoon signal eight we get a day off kind (laughs) of thing um and maybe the government will you know make some policy changes so that in the future um when these storms come again because they're they seem to be getting stronger or and bigger and better um as we go forward maybe that's not the case maybe it's just you know just the luck of the draw this year or mother nature you know flicking her wrist or something but uh you know hopefully that uh, the next one that comes through won't be quite as bad but we're not here to talk about the weather uh we are here to talk about movies and other stuff so let's get into our news proper as i throw it back over to kevin's court with this week's news
0: here at the news desk uh kind of a light um, news week, I suppose. But the first thing I know, Paul, you want to talk about is the end of Tonglen.
1: Yes, yes, my show has gone away. Um, for those d- who don't know, I've mentioned Tonglin on a couple of occasions before. Tonglin is a long-form drama series out of Singapore. It runs on their uh, Channel 5, Media Channel 5. And I started watching this pretty close to when it first came out back in 2015 and I'm not one for long form drama usually I mean they they have programs like this in um in Hong Kong uh, like Guy Dai Fun Hey I think was one that ran for a really long time and there was one more recently called I think Come Home Love and it was just never something the, the Hong Kong ones never really appealed to me for some, for some reason Um, Part of it being that they're typically not subtitled in English unlike the hour-long TVB dramas that come on in prime time. Um, And sometimes I'd watch an episode or two but I never was able to really pick up at the start so I just never was really engaged with the characters. And so you know Tangling came along and it was right place right time for me. I had just been on a trip to Singapore that year and caught a couple of episodes and I'm like hey I want to continue watching this and so um, I started watching it and it slowly worked its way into my daily routine and I was hooked and just really enjoying it. It was um, something that I looked forward to. When I moved over to the States, uh, it became a little bit more difficult to keep up with for a while. Uh, but thankfully, the Toggle app, which at one point was limited to Singaporeans only, Um, they had you know you could you could go online to their site or you could get their app but if you didn't have a Singapore ID you couldn't create an account and then at some point somebody over there I don't know if it was our friend uh, Mr. Sponberg or somebody else (laughs) uh, said hey you know you should kind of open this up to anybody who wants to watch it and you know make it revenue based or commercial based and you know maybe you'll get some more viewership and I'm not sure if that's what happened but that's what they did and so now there's a lot of programming that you can watch on the toggle app or on the toggle site for free with commercials um, they also have the app for like Apple TV um, very convenient it was kinda glitchy at first but they've worked out a lot of the bugs uh, over the past couple years and it's very stable some of the older shows um, like there's a Carol Cheng sh- show um, I think it 's called o'Carroll um, that was done in Singapore for two seasons. I think they 've got the Living with Lydia starring Lydia Shum up there for two seasons. Those older shows are still region blocked um, but it 's not a very strong region block if you know what i 'm saying um, but the new the, the newer stuff the newer stuff um like Tanglin and a lot of the new shows do not have a region block and they 're easily accessible and they 've got multiple subtitle options you can usually choose between English, Malay, and um, simplified Chinese subtitles for the show. So, uh, you know, again, it's something that just hooked me, and I was surprised when they announced that it was ending, and it actually ended this month on the final episode aired on regular TV on September uh, 20, what is today, yesterday, September 28th at the time of this recording. Um, And, you know, as a show like this is kind of worn to do, I think it was a little bit of surprise for them that they weren't going to be continuing on because it was a somewhat popular show. So they had to kind of rush a few of the plot lines. Not every plot line got resolved, but I think they did a really nice job ending it and they actually added an extra episode Where they sit down with fans and the cast, and you know, kind of do some reflection and talking with the cast, and that's up on there as well. So, you know, I we talked about this before when we were doing the Crazy Rich Asians discussion. If you're somebody who wants to see some diversity in a program, you want to see lots of Asian people of different ethnicities acting on screen together, and you don't want to deal with a foreign language. You you want to deal with you know people speaking English. It's the show for you, and it's, you know, again, it's like 20, 25-minute episodes. It's easy to go through. There's a lot there in terms of content. I mean, 823 episodes is going to take most people a while to work their way through. Um,
0: weren't, you, uh, weren't you pretty – last time we talked about it, you said you were like 100 episodes no, behind. No, I was,
1: I was 200 episodes behind <laughs>
0: because when we made the move, I stopped watching for a while.
1: And then, when you know, over time, I picked up, and I was just doing, like – Marathons each day. I was like, okay, I gotta hit this many episodes, this many episodes per day. And I slowly um, but surely caught back up um, just earlier this week to where I was kind of on track to finish uh, the final episode when it finally
0: dropped on Friday. So, my God, Archie Glatera's house isn't released on a weekly basis now. <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah. how yeah. many how many shows can you pitch i would be able to pitch i mean i love terrence House and i can binge through that stuff very quickly but i'm like yeah my... that's 200 episodes of sitcom <laughs> let, me, like... let, me,
1: let me tell you my wife was so happy that it came to an end because she was tired of it always <laughs> being on the tv um you know because there is some other stuff we want to watch and i was like no i gotta i gotta, gotta get through this many today um but yes so it has come to an end and i'm i'm I'm, you know, sad to see it go because I really, you know, I, I was engaged with those families for a long time, but it did feel like they were starting to stretch some of the plot lines out to where I was like, okay, they're 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 kind of struggling um, so they don't repeat themselves. So uh, a good run and something worth checking out uh, if you're looking for something that's long form, but not overly dramatic. I mean, it's got some drama. It's got quite a bit of comedy in it, too, um, and it's a very feel-good show, so you know check
0: that so there there's, there's going to be a new show coming uh premiering tomorrow called Kin. Yeah. Are you going to be watching that?
1: Yes, I'm going to I'm going to watch that. It looks like it might be a little bit heavier. It looks like it may might be a little bit firmer in the drama camp, but some of the players uh from Tanglin are in this show as new characters. So I'm kind of curious to see how it plays, how, you know, how it's different. If it's if it's as heavy as it kind of looks from some of the trailers I've seen. I don't know if I'll stick with it. Because I tend to prefer stuff that's a little bit more on the comedy side and the lighter side um, with some drama thrown in. Um, But who knows? It may, you know, it may scratch that itch that I might find myself needing. So I'll report back on Kin uh, as we get a couple weeks into that series.
0: But are uh, we gonna go into like long form, super long form um, series? Actually, we talk about the Hong Kong ones. Um, the three longest um, running shows in Hong Kong. One is Come Home Love, which is kind of a cheat because Come Home Love has been rebooted uh, about four times. So, but they put it under the same series. Um, if you look at a record, um, that show actually is the longest running show, current, still currently running in Hong Kong, it has one thousand three hundred, no, a thousand seven hundred thirty five episodes. But that's because there are so there are two scenes of the original show then there are the two other series but then they're rebooted with new characters um just with the same actors but different characters so it doesn't i don't—I wouldn't count it but they have the same names that i counted um but then you also have the hong kong 1981 to 86 yes the little title is hong kong 81 and then every year they just they just switched up the year um which was actually written by Chen Hing kai uh the guy who wrote um quite a few of the big comedy films um, and that ran 1,000. I'm trying to look it up. 1,330 episodes, and that one had like cameos from Andy Mui, and you had Stephen Chow and friends playing background actors. Um, Leslie Chun also made like a cameo, and Andy Lau was a small character at one point. So that was a huge thing. Um, and then the actual one sort of, single series longest run I think uh, of a single series is a Kindred Spirit. Now that it's my generation. I grew up watching Kindred Spirit. I didn't watch it per se, but you know it was always on TV when it was on, even in America. That ran from 95 to 99, and that ran 1,128 episodes. So Singapore, not quite there yet, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they, they got a ways to go. But um, the, one of the things, again, that is frustrating when it comes to sort of the Hong Kong side of things is even if you speak Cantonese or you're literate in Chinese, Try and find those shows, right? It's like you can go to the to the MyTV website and you're going to be region blocked. You can get access to their um, overseas apps like uh, Encore uh, TVB in English. Nothing there really. I mean, they release a few titles there. Go to the Chinese Cantonese one and they've got some stuff there but not... A lot of stuff there I mean it's like they they do the Disney thing like they they put stuff in a vault and they sit on it rather than kind of having it all out and accessible which is unfortunate all right enough about TVB and TV talk and long form dramas let's talk about some movies so we've got uh, Oscar picks right
0: yeah last time we were talking about some of the Oscar picks uh, around Asia in the interim, um, Hong Kong has finally anou- announced its pick, which is Dante Lam's Operation Red Sea, which doesn't have a Hong... Well, it has some in Yam, but it doesn't have a Hong Kong cast, and it's not set in Hong Kong, and it's in Mandarin, and it's partly funded by the Chinese army. And <laughs> Anyway, go on and on. But it is what it is. I mean, yeah, director is Hong Kong, the production company is Hong Kong, so therefore... It is Hong Kong. Um, Operation Red sea is the biggest, I think, biggest Hong Kong production. And I think um, it's always weird how how these these committees that pick the choices, they sort of s- try to assume what will work in Hollywood. So they think that if they send a Hollywood... It, it, Hollywood uh, imitation that it would somehow work with the voters in America, which I think is terribly misjudged um, because it is essentially a copy, a carbon copy of films like um, uh, Black Hawk Down or, um, I mean, specifically it is Dante Lamb's Black Hawk Down, right? But the thing is, these films don't usually win Oscars. You know, they make money, but they don't win Oscars. So to think that if we send a Hollywood, you know hollywood quality production with a lot lots of crap blowing up and and like a michael bay imitation yeah i think the americans are going to love it it's universal right no they're not it doesn't work that way and it's always weird what they're thinking um meanwhile uh, the philippines have picked signal rock which i haven't seen i haven't been able to see and i don't know if i'll be able to see we're talking about another filipino film later but um Unfortunately, not this one, and I don't know when I'll be able to see it, but they picked this film called Signal Rock, which I hear is quite good. Um, so those are two updated ones. China is always the last one to announce. They don't really announce it. They just sort of send it in, and then when the Academy um, releases a list, then you see what, what they picked. Um, but there, on the rumor mill, there is uh, there are rumors that China picked Angels Wear White, which would be a shocking choice because Angels Wear White is about a teenage runaway who is working illegally at a hotel and becomes the sole witness to the sexual assault of two elementary schoolgirls. And the entire film is about her moral dilemma whether she should come forward. And that movie exposes a lot of systematic corruption and and a lot of selfishness in Chinese society. Considering that they picked Wolf Warrior 2 last year, I doubt that China would pick Angels Wear White as their Oscar representative, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. Um, we'll know officially, I think, by the time we record the next episode, what China has chosen, and we'll come back and, and make fun of that pick.
1: I mean, if Hong Kong's picking Operation Red Sea, and Hong Kong's part of China doesn't that make it China's pick too? I don't it's know.
0: It's a, it's a region, <laughs> it's a region thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's uh, <laughs> I I'm sure. Actually, I think I think in this case China would be like, "No, no, we're separate. We're separate because it it it, it you know, it amps up the chances for an award." So they're like, yeah, Taiwan, go ahead, you know, because if they win, they can take credit for it. If Hong Kong wins, China can take credit for it. If they lose, it's not our pick. What? We pick something else? What? (laughs) It's very convenient. Yes, it's super convenient, but that's the way it works here. Yes, indeed.
1: All right, our final bit of news. Uh, Sian Sono.
0: Yes, so um, Sian Sono last worked with uh amazon i think on uh what was it tokyo vampire hotel uh and now he has uh he's moving on he's going to be working with uh um uh, netflix for his new show uh and just not much i mean it's all japanese media so um i have to sort of uh look it up a little bit but um apparently the the show is called like a very brutal, romantic love story or something like that. Um, and it's... Uh, the show is going to star Shina Ryohei? Or... Yes, a couple of his usual actors. Um, and it looks like it's going to be another crime story. It's not going to be one of those... Um, the the fantastic, you know, extreme monster stuff. It's going to be based on... It's more like um, Cold Fish, which was based on a real murder. And it seems like uh, this show will be uh, about... A, a murderer kind of i guess very much um a psychological thriller type of thing um there's not much else known about it they announced a cast and one of them is den den who is like in in all of shio sono films um and then there's also um mitsushima um Mitsush- Mi- mitsushima shinsuke who was in shinosuke who was also in tokyo vampire hotel um and the show is going to be released next year, but otherwise, that's all that's known right now. But it's already pretty big news. I mean, she also knows tear. and um, you know, he doesn't always. He's sometimes a commercial director who just you know does movies for money. And I'm guessing the fact that he gets to work with these streaming services gives him a lot more freedom to to sort of be what to, to let him do what he does. Um. And, you know, that's good for him, you know, sometimes he does, it, it is difficult to get financing in Japanese cinema, um, especially especially for someone who insists on doing original material, um, like Shion Sono, um, which is why there was that year he made seven movies, and a lot of them were actually commercial films, I and mean, he has to make a living, um, you know, di- directors in Japan don't get backends, you know, they get a salary, it's pretty much like oh. doing a job, so... They do jump from movie to movie very quickly and they end up moving, making, you know, four, three, four movies a year is not a, is totally a commonplace um, in Japan. Uh, so, you know, this could be interesting. But the thing is, I never finished Tokyo Vampire Hotel because it was too long and it was too indulgent. And I'm worried that Shio Sono, once again, working in this format, he's going to do the same thing. So I am keeping my expectations very, very low here.
1: Any chance he's pulling a uh, Raina Trendle from uh, Terrace House for this? <laughs>
0: Well, she was in, in his movie once. She was in yeah, Tag. she was in Tag. Um, a... But, you know, again, I mean, Tag was one of those projects he just sort of did for money. He was like, yeah, whatever. So so who knows? Um, They, they only announced the three lead actors uh, so far, but, you know, TV series, a lot of actors. So let's see what happens when the S S D production uh, progresses. Um, They didn't say when in 2019, so we may be well, waiting well over a year for the show.
1: All right. I'll be interested to see. If he's given perhaps a little bit more leeway on netflix than he got with uh, amazon because um, i mean tokyo vampire hotel was adult but it was also a little bit restrained i think i don't um it'll be it'll be interesting to compare i think in in terms of what he can do with netflix versus amazon uh, all right that's gonna wrap it up for our news this week when we come back kevin's review of the film from the philippines the house of us and welcome back. So for our East screen first East screen film this week, uh Kevin's going to be talking about a little bit of cinema from the Philippines, which is not something we get to delve into too much primarily because of availability. That's the one the the one area I've kind of always found trouble with, especially for current stuff. Um But, uh, you know, after stuff's been out for a while, you know, there does seem to be some availability through channels and platforms like Amazon Prime and whatnot. But for current stuff, it can be difficult. So,
0: yeah, this was a very weird case because um, I was looking at Facebook at work, as I always do. (laughs) And then there was an ad by Golden Harvest Cinema about they were doing this so called alternative content, which they did. They've been doing like. These exclusive distribution of foreign films so for example they showed um a taiwan film called dd stream that was a big hit in taiwan and and a, a flop in china but you know it started very big a very popular um uh talk show host um and it didn't really get proper so-called hong kong distribution it was only playing at um at a at a, at a one one cinema in disguise, so it made it exclusive um and then suddenly i was scrolling and it's like yeah we have this film called house of us and i was like what is this and then i looked it up it's a filipino film and um uh and there it was and they were opening ticket sales you know because because um for example when i go to bollywood films i have to go to um there's a certain mailing list i have to follow and and that's how i get updated and um and you have and, to, you and have to go to and I mansion tickets.
1: to get the tickets right
0: well, not anymore. They, they shifted. They gave it to another store. But yeah, it's another store in Jim's Trade. It's like a grocery store and they have a whole stack of tickets. And you have to Google, you know, fill in a Google Doc to apply for a seat. And then you have to go pick up the tickets and pay. And then, then you go to the theater because they ran out of theater to do this. But this seems to be like something that Golden Harvest is actually trying to promote. So they're doing very, very limited screenings of this film called The House of Us. And I was like, well, that's interesting because... Um, I did find out too afterwards, but according to my friend, like, um, they show Filipino films at at the Grand Ocean every Sunday or something, on on a Sunday morning, and I never found out how this existed, but it turns out this does exist. Oh, well, I don't know if it's still, he just tells me it exists, but I never actually found out the screening info myself, but you know, to me, this is, as far as I know, very, very rare, like, I was like, this film must be, like, a huge hit in the Philippines, and it is, It's, it's currently the number one um the highest grossing filipino film of all time um and i was like yeah okay well i gotta go because you know (laughs) ticket sales open it's open to me so therefore i should go of course it turned out i was like the only hong konger there everyone else like that that audience it was like about 200 to 300 people and that audience 98 percent female (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I assume, like, Filipino Filipino woman. Um, so it was a very awkward situation for me. Um, but still, I, I was really happy to be able to see it. I went up to the Grand Ocean, which is Hong Kong's, I think, one of the biggest single-screen, I think the only single-screen theater left in Hong Kong. Um, and I just ran up and bought a... T- well, actually, it's not the only, but it's the biggest single-screen theater in Hong Kong, which is a big deal when you think about it. It's 400, 400 seats. Um, and I went up, bought a ticket, and went right in. Um, So, it was an interesting experience, which I'll talk about a little bit. But first, the movie itself. Um, The film is a romantic drama directed by Kathy Garcia Molina, who is a huge commercial filmmaker. And the cast, the lead actors, are Catherine Bernardo and Daniel Padilla, which um, I will explain a little bit later why this became the biggest hit in the Philippines, because of these two guys. Um, The story, Primo, played by Daniel Padilla, it was an expiring rocker, and George—that stands for Georgina, by the way—wants um, nothing more than to become a doctor. But when Primo's failures end up costing George's career, the two break up. Years later, Primo returns to the house he shared with George, hoping to repair their relationship, but George is hell-bent on selling the house. And, of course, in true sitcom fashion, Primo is the house co-owner, so she needs him to sign off on it. So... I know nothing about Filipino pop culture. Um, I've seen a few Filipino films, but I'm my knowledge of the those cinema is all based on sort of these this whole new wave of commercial films that go against the usual commercial films. Um, so, um, talking about perhaps films like Eric Madi or even like uh, I watch uh, Macau Red. Or they're not really commercial names in in the Philippines. Or burst shot. So that's one of the films I saw. Um, or there was that. There's a film on iTunes called that thing called Tadana, which is sort of like a Filipino version of Before Sunrise, um, which is excellent, by the way, for what it is. Um, and it's interesting. But so I haven't been. I'm not caught up on Filipino commercial cinema. But I do watch Filipino films from time to time, even though it would be odd to misjudge those films as a representative of Filipino commercial cinema they're not if they made it overseas it's usually because they get something on like indie cred or or you know um you know just like just like commercial cinema of other countries usually don't make it beyond the borders because they are what they are which is you know bland commercial cinema um but i did some research and i found out um that the two stars are essentially two of the biggest stars of the country. And um, they're kind of like the Andy Lau and Sammy Chang of their generation of like the post ninety generation, um, except they're actually dating. Like they're the biggest screen couple in Filipino pop culture, um, which is huge. And if if my if my if my Twitter feed is any indication, okay, I tweeted about this film, uh, about seeing this film, and over the f- following forty eight hours, I was getting constant likes and retweets. And I ended up getting um, 459 likes on just my first post of that thread, which is the, my, my most viral thing ever. Like, it was weird because Filipinos are very active on social media, especially when we talk about Daniel Padilla and Catherine Bernardo. So, yeah, it was like the most viral thing I ever posted. It was amazing. Um so now I think we figure out a key, Paul. I think we just got to keep going to Filipino cinema and just keep talking about Filipino cinema, cinema and I think we'll do well. We'll finally get subscribers. Okay.
1: Um, the only thing I can talk about is Chris Aquino and Happy Ghost 5, I'm afraid. <laughs> and and actually... Ma- Manipole 1 through 7. That's about all I know.
0: <laughs> The thing is, I think Filipino cinema, just like Chinese cinema, just like uh, Korean cinema, they do have these day and date releases in the cinema because um, that film not only broke the record for um, a Filipino box office, it the Philippines box office it's also broken a record for overseas growth for Filipino films, and they do get they, very limited day and date release. Um, for example, my in San Francisco um, Bay Area, Daily City actually has the biggest. Um, Population of Filipinos in in the U.S. So obviously that film played in in the Bay Area. Um, but I don't know about your 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 neck of the woods, Paul. If if these films get released, um, but it'd be interesting to keep keep an eye on these things. See so see if they do get played. And I wonder if Hong Kong, if, if Golden Harvest will keep bringing in fil- popular Filipino cinema. And if they do, I'd be happy to go watch it. It'll be it'll be fun. Um, so to see. So then, yeah, now we know Catherine Bernardo, Daniel Padilla, huge, 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 huge stars. And that explained why, like, this film was such a hit. Because it's like seeing an Andy Lau and Sammy Chang summer blockbuster, summer romantic blockbuster. And if you remember, those films did extraordinary well in Hong Kong cinema. I mean, it, it, in the slump, is still, Needing You still make 30 million Hong Kong dollars, which is a huge, huge deal. Um, so... To see these real-life lovers play lovers on screen was probably a huge appeal to their fans. It's not the first time playing lovers on screen. They actually, like, their fourth or fifth film together. Um, but yet, somehow, this one really made it through the box, had a huge break through the box office. Um, and to their credit, they do have great chemistry on screen. They, they're very convincing as a couple because they're a real-life couple. And... and they have they are you know fairly good actors and especially kevin bernardo i think she's she's amazing she's a very great actress um but otherwise it's a pretty standard boy loves girl boy loses girl boys try to win girl backstory um it jumps um it's very much like Kong commercial cinema in that it jumps from um romance to comedy to tearjerker back to comedy and then you back to the romantic tearjerker kind of thing um so you get this whole comedy sitcom, sitcomy situation with the uh, cohabiting situation and the comedy that's fairly amusing. Um, it's pretty cute. Um, and it's just very universal things, you know, the whole chase, you know, chasing dreams versus facing reality and the the work it takes to maintain a relationship. And there's a whole uh, abandoned, uh, abandoned parents um, subplot. And you don't need to be Filipino to appreciate what it does here, I think. I mean, the, the issues they deal with are pretty universal, you know, because it is a commercial film and it has its share emotional moments. I think the their their revelations about their relationships i think they do hit they do have some relevance um and and it's reasonably touching which i don't know if it's a correct term it is pretty it's it, it is moving it's a moving film at points but the movie is too damn long it is a hundred and twenty minute hundred and four hundred and twenty minutes long and i and usually to be a romantic drama like this uh shouldn't really run more than 100 minutes if hong kong cinema is is any indication there's an entire 20 minute section that's shot in amsterdam um it's very pretty um but as always it's really plagued by this problem of asian directors never quite knowing how to depict life in the west the actors they pick are very very wooden the the dialogue is stilted and um And yeah, I mean, just like just like how how Western directors don't know how to how to how to how to film Hong Kong. Right. Um, Hong Kong directors always have trouble filming, you know, life in the West. I'm watching currently I'm watching this, uh, the ITV series called Strangers. There's the one where the British guy goes to Hong Kong to find out how his wife died. And, you know, it's the same problems plaguing these these type of productions. they turned Maido Cafe, which is this this diner that is uh, in Yomate. They turn it into a karaoke lounge, which, like, that doesn't exist anymore. What's going on? And none of the actors, because I think they shot all the interiors in the UK, they're just like, why do these people not speak Cantonese? Like, they're speaking Cantonese, but, like, I don't know what they're saying, though. Like, who are these people? So um, it's the same problem. And, and it's something we have to address. And I feel like on both sides, to be honest, not just from the west to the east, but also from the east to the west is we we've got to do this better, um, and I think uh, and that extends to Taiwanese tale of two cities which I'm, all, which I'm also watching. But we can get to that when we when we jump to that show. Um, still, the experience itself was very interesting. Like I said, the 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 audience was pretty much ninety eight percent Filipino woman, and I was like the. I looked like I was in the wrong movie. I just sort of stuck. Like, I looked like I was trying to buy a ticket to Johnny English. And then I walked into the theater and realized I was in the wrong movie. And I just stuck with it anyway, because I already paid for the ticket. That's what it looked like. And I didn't want to, I want to tell like you guys, like, I want to see this movie guys. I'm not in the wrong theater. So at the end of the movie, um, when I came out, I think the organizer, they had a they had a camera with a whole LED light ready to like film the responses of the people coming out, like probably laughing and talking about how they had a good time. They saw me and they just put down the camera. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, hey, I it's, thought, it's that
1: guy from to... CNN.
0: <laughs> I like, I thought you guys would want to talk to me of all people. Like I'm the I was worried you were gonna talk to me. Instead they were like, No, go away. Thanks for coming. Like bye. Um, you're, you're clearly but, not the target demographic for this movie. Yeah, so. clearly. <laughs> but the it was it was a lot of fun because at that point I didn't realize Filipino films um, allegedly gets played on big screen without me knowing. So I thought, you know, yeah, this is very much a rare taste from home. You know, yeah, sure, Filipino. So, if you don't know Hong Kong, Hong Kong has a lot of huge population of um, domestic work, uh, well, Southeast Asian who have moved to Hong Kong to become to work as domestic workers, and Filipino, uh, Philippines uh, takes up a huge share of that, and um, they, I'm sure they connect through home, they connect to home through like internet and you know their phones, they watch whatever on their phones, they hang out with their friends every Sunday, and I'm sure to them that's already a, a taste of home, but. I think cinema has a function that is—it's very different. You know, it's a mass media thing. You—it's a communal experience, and this is why I keep talking about the cinematic, the cinema experience. When I was growing up in San Francisco, you know, we had free theaters in Chinatown showing showing Hong Kong films, um, so it was easier to get a taste of home, but you still get that buzz of excitement. You know, I always remember 95 when, um, the God of gambler returns was playing in Chinatown and, and, uh, it was Chan Fat, right. So it was, we went to the cinema and there was a huge crowd. It was sold out. Um, the crowd was huge. We were all waiting outside and there was so much excitement. Even the, like, I, I remember a fight even broke out because I guess people were so excited and they're trying to get into the cinema. And, to get that taste of home in a communal experience is something you cannot replicate at home on, on Netflix. It's just not the same. And... And to us in in the U.S., uh, in big cities like New York, or in Vancouver, or in Canada, or in Toronto in Canada, or in San Francisco, where we got Chinatown theaters, and then we had um, TBB stores, you know, TBB uh, retailers that rented out tapes to us, it was easy to get these things. And of course, with internet, it was easier. It was just getting it for free. Um, But for these people, they don't get the chance to see films from their home country on the big screen, like never, because it, as far as I had known, it, it just didn't. The theaters just don't play Filipino films. No one, and by judging by the audience um, demographic, there is still no local audience interested in seeing Filipi- F- Filipino films on the big screen. So to hear their reaction, they were swooning every time they kissed. They were laughing while the humor. They were sniffling at all the tearjerker moments. To hear that reaction, that love for the hometown cinema, it was really something interesting to watch. You know, it's like going to a Bollywood movies and Shahrukh Khan comes out and people still cheer. I mean, he the man makes four movies a year for crying out loud. I mean, it's not like you never see Shahrukh Khan on a on a big screen. But when you watch Bollywood movies in the cinema with like three hundred other Indian people and they see Shahrukh Khan on screen, they get so excited. They're just like, yeah, like that excitement it's 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 really touching to to see them get that rare taste of home i think um so to me that was the more um interesting experience than the actual film i mean the film itself is not bad and i think people um who are interested in seeing filipino cinema should definitely check it out because of its you know the box office success and the pop culture relevance of it um otherwise it's like it's not something i would go out of my way to see it's not like it's not ever going to be an oscar winner or anything like that but if you're interested in seeing popular culture of other countries and what appeals to those audiences and it's a very anthropological way of approaching i suppose but if you're interested in that type of thing I, i i highly recommend the film it's it's actually a very solid commercial film um But to me, I thought the experience itself of watching the film itself is more interesting than the film.
1: And welcome back. For my review this week, also a bit of an e screen review, I'm here to talk about uh, the new film, My Hero Academia Two Heroes. So, if you're not familiar with the My Hero Academia series, this is a currently airing anime series out of Japan, and it's got pretty wide availability on platforms like Crunchyroll and I think VRV and some other platforms as well, but those are the primary ones to use. If you're here in the states, um, maybe I'm guessing um, there are similar platforms over in in Asia um, that people would access for these as well for for current anime series. Um, this has been running for three years now. It's currently in its third season, and to you know just give you a bit of background, it's a you know the the basic gist of it is that people in this world, a majority of them have what they call a quirk which is basically a, some kind of superhero power. And as a result, there are a lot of superheroes and the culture is geared around superheroes and people go to school to train their quirks so they can become pro-heroes and you know, kind of work in the hero industry. There are a few people though, a small percentage of the population that don't get a quirk and they are powerless and they are kind of in the minority. And that is the story of kind of the hero named Izuku Midoriya, a young boy who aspires to be like the most popular, powerful hero on the planet, who's named All Might, and he wants to be just like him. He wants to be the world's you know best hero, but he has no quirk, um, and you know much to his disappointment, he's without a quirk. He you know feels he has no chance of becoming a hero, until one day a chance encounter with his hero, All Might, um, changes things for him in, in a very positive way. And from there, he ends up you know, with a quirk, in which I won't you know spoil too much about how he gets it, and he's able to enroll in UA High School, where top students go to train their quirks to become pro-heroes. That's the basis of the My Hero Academy story. Um, Now, this particular theatrical film, it got released earlier in the year at Anime Expo. It got theatrical release in Japan um, in August, and it's now having limited theatrical release in the States um, in late September. And it is taking place uh, chronologically between Season 2 and Season 3, Although they did do a bit of marketing in the current season, season three, which is still airing um, at the time of this recording. And they meant they did sort of through a flashback. They kind of did a lead in to uh, the story here. So let me talk a little bit about that. Uh, the story, as I mentioned, resolves around the young aspirant hero, Izuku Midoriya, who goes by the hero name of Deku. And he is invited to a place called I Island. Uh, with his mentor All Might. There he meets Dave, Dave is All Might's friend and one-time partner, and now he's the world's top researcher on quirks, or as, or as I mentioned the manifestations of superpower, superpowers that a majority of the population have. But when terrorists suddenly take over the seemingly secure island and disable all of the pro heroes, it is up to Deku and his classmates from UA High School to try and stop them. But what they uncover is more than a simple hostage crisis and in fact leads back to the new newly established relationship between Deku and All Might. So um, as I said taking place between season two and season three which is still currently airing I think they're getting ready to hit the season finale it's I think even just today at the time of recording they've announced that season four has been given the go-ahead which I don't think there was any question about. This is one of the more popular shows that's running out there, and I think it's very popular not just in Japan, but internationally as well. Um, and they're, it's, again, running in various forms. There's a manga series, of course, for it as well, um, the anime series, and now they're getting into films, and that's usually uh, a good sign that uh, a show is doing good. So. It's, uh, as I said, it's hinted at through a brief flashback during season three, and they have a clever bit of marketing to, you know, tell fans go out and and watch the film, uh, which is fine. As a film itself, it's okay, um, but it is really a lot of fan service, which is good for fans, not so good for people who, you know, might want to just walk into this thing cold. There's a bit of background on the character of All Might himself, who's basically like The Superman character of this universe Um, but he is Japanese by or anime Japanese I should say he doesn't look Japanese he's got like this kind of weird um, blonde hair that somehow makes him look like a rabbit sometimes uh, just by the design but he's a very fun character and in the show he's somewhat older you know he's not like uh, dark Knight Bruce Wayne old but um you know it's he he's looking to mentor a new protege to sort of take his place so there's not been a lot said about him kinda of in his youth as he was going to become a you know a top hero in in him working in his prime uh, he's already there and you know it's it's time for him to kinda of go off get ready to go off in the sunset so this film does that. It gives a little bit of background and shows a little bit of him in his younger days. And that part of it's really good, I think. Um, but the rest of it, when it's taking place on I, I island, is pretty much like a standard episode. Um, pretty much all of the classmates make an appearance, and these are Midoriya's classmates. They are all students learning to be heroes. They all have different quirks. They all have different personalities. A lot of these are archetypal personalities that you would encounter in uh, quite a few shows if you watch a lot of anime. Um, but everybody's going to end up with a favorite student, and not, it's not necessarily the lead of the story, uh, Midoriya. A lot of times, just like in Dragon Ball, or I would say in you know something like One Piece, where they have such large character casts, as an audience member, you're not always going to gravitate towards the central character. You are going might gravitate towards somebody um, as a supporting cast that you really like a lot. So when they do something like that and you're three seasons into a show and they've introduced so many characters, you can't in just two hours give everybody an equal amount of screen time. This is Midori's story, but if he's not your favorite, you might be disappointed in how little airtime your favorite character gets. Um, And that was true in my case. My favorite character didn't get much airtime at all. In fact, she didn't get to do much of anything um, except kind of sit on the sidelines. Um, But that's fine. So if you're current when you watch this, um, you do have to jump back a bit because, again, it's technically taking place between Season 2 and Season 3. So some things have developed. Some powers have developed throughout Season 3. That, aren't, that can't be at play here. So it's you know a little bit of rewind, um, but that's fine. They do use a kind of magical gadget that helps bypass some limits and it tries to achieve a cool factor. And this kind of works. But again, if you are current with the show, you kind of know what's gonna end up happening to something like that, right? Uh, that is the problem when you have something that serves as a preamble or a prequel um, to further narrative. So,, um, it'd also be interesting, I think, to some of the new characters that they introduce in this movie, if they're gonna appear in the series later, or if this is just kind of like a one and done thing that, you know, they're not going to return to. It kind of feels that way. It kind of feels rushed in some cases. I mean, the animation's okay. It's certainly not better than what we see in the series. In terms of some of the action set pieces, the storyboarding, um, the narrative flow, I would say it's it's not as good as some of the best stuff that's coming out of the series itself. So, And I know they do this with anime. If something's really successful, they want to rush out a couple films to try and capitalize on that. And that's fine. It's not a terrible film. It's fun for fans. I just think for people who are new, you're going to have to wait if you really want to get into this series and get current. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time appreciating it. Now, I got to see this, much like Kevin got to see uh, his film, with a prime audience. I got to see this with a pretty much sold-out house full of anime nerds. And they were hooting and hollering when their favorite character would show up, they were cheering at all the right moments. They were much more active and engaged than your typical movie-going audience, um, and that's good and it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, it, it's reminded me a couple things too. It it's reminded me that I think I've aged out of anime nerddom because I was the oldest person there. I mean, I was definitely an outlier if they were to look at the overall demographics and come up with sort of a mean age of of everybody because um yeah there was nobody there i would say was older than me pretty much everybody looked like they were somewhere in the 20s range and there were no kids and that was that was one thing that i thought you know was surprising because it's i mean it's as a superhero show it is a bit violent at times it's not you know graphic or gory like some anime can be but it is heroes beating up on each other and it can be violent there's a little bit of blood at times but nothing too much, but I was. This is not something I'd want to introduce my daughter to yet. Um, you know, maybe when she gets to around ten or so, I would think. You know, if she, this was something she'd w- want to see, especially with some of the female heroes, um, that'd be okay. It, it's not overtly sexual like some anime can be, which is is good. But it's very much in the shonen framework. You know, again, think One Piece, think Dragon Ball, and that's where, you know, the the main demographic for this is in Japan. In the U.S., that expands outward to 20-somethings. So, but I was surprised I didn't see any kids. I was expecting to see maybe some parents there with kids, um, but I did not see that. The other disappointing thing, too, was that I saw this in dubbed version. I had no choice. They had one screening near me, one time, one day only, and, you know, that was what I had to go for, and I watch on the series i they had they offer both they offer the dubbed version english dub and they have subtitled and i watch subtitled with the original japanese cast and i'm used to hearing those voices for characters so when i started watching this hearing the new english dub cast go for it and i'm i didn't double check but i'm pretty sure it's all the same uh english voice actors who do the show regularly But I'm not used to hearing their voices. And so like All Might has this kind of deep, gravelish kind of Japanese voice that I'm used to hearing. And now I'm hearing somebody who's kind of aping something between Superman and Captain Kirk. And it was just really off-putting for, I want to say, a good quarter or a third of the movie. Um, And then I was able to sort of slip back into it once I got used to hearing the voices a little bit more, but not a fan myself personally of of the English dubs. I prefer the Japanese. Um, If you're a fan of this, though, you're going to see it. I mean, I I don't see, I can't think anybody who's with the series so far who wouldn't want to watch this. But for somebody who's never seen the show, I don't think it's going to mean that much to you. And I have a friend who I've introduced to the show. He's seen like the first couple episodes and he really likes it. Um, but I didn't want to invite him to go because I knew he wouldn't be able to get a lot out of it yet, Um, especially because some of the character relationships that have developed over the course of the first two seasons and into the third season, uh, when those characters kind of pop up on screen, there's recognition there. There's some history built into it there, and if you go in without that, again, it, it's just going to have less meaning. So, as I said, a lot of fan service in this. And this is true a lot of times of these anime movies that come out where they're building upon stuff that's already been out for a couple seasons. And there's only so much you can do in a in a two-hour film. Um, so, d- But I would say despite my burnout on Western superhero genre stuff, both movies and TV, um, I do love this series because it still feels fresh to me. As a kind of Japanese take on western superheroes and superpowers, and I like that they do give especially in the series they give a lot more time to the teamwork aspect of it um even though it's you know it's about the growth of a you know central character into becoming the world's top hero um it's a lot of teamwork stuff, which I think is great, so if you are Looking for something a little bit different, and you're kind of tired of the the Western repeats and reboots that we're getting. I'd say you know definitely give this a chance. And again, if you're not somebody who wants to hear Japanese, you do have the options of um, some decent English dubbing going on for these shows.
0: Kaiju but, but my question is, why would you watch Japanese anime but not want to hear Japanese? I just didn't, didn't make sense to me. Well, you know. Yeah, it's. it's, it's <laughs> I hear the sigh. You're like, I don't want to defend those people. <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I can't. I mean, I don't like it, but it's like the old uh, Shaw Brothers kung fu films of the 70s. You know, some people like hearing the dubbing and they just don't want to deal with reading. And I can respect and appreciate that. That's not me. I'm not in that camp. Um, and, you know, I prefer to hear the Japanese actors... Um, and and you know their kind of presentation of of that, but if it gets more people to watch something, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rage against it to be sure. So yeah, um, but yeah, uh, one one slight mention a kaiju cameo for the win. Who I won't spoil, but um, I think if you're a fan of a certain well-known kaiju, um, they were already posting about this in in quite a few kaiju forums. A couple months back, so um, that's there, and yeah, good on good on them for having a little bit of fun, and good on the studio for giving them the license to have a little bit of fun. I will say, so um, yeah, check it out if you're a fan. If not, check out the series first and see if you like it, and then get this when it rolls around in in some way, shape, or form on video. Um, when I was leaving the theater, I, I you know was overhearing lots of different little. Groups and friends talking, and some people were commenting about, "Oh, do you think there'll be another movie?" And a lot of people were saying, "Oh, yeah, definitely. This is this series is, um, you know, is huge right now, and so it, it looks like there's going to be more of this kind of thing to come because it's just doing so well, I guess, in Japan and also internationally. So, something to pay attention to if you're looking to catch on to some Japanese popular culture." Um, is this anything that i mean i know you're not a big anime fan kevin but is this anything you think that registers in hong kong because i mean over there their tastes in japanese animation and certain titles um not always the same as in the west um for for current stuff
0: yeah um i think that there's an audience for it um i'm not entirely sure but you know there are like uh, limited screen you were talking about alternative content right so um one i'm looking at the alternative content page right now of of golden harvest cinema and they're showing like some j-pop idol thing and they also have a um nogisaka 46 sailor moon musical mm. um yeah they so do we get, they do some yeah.
1: simulcast live i mean i know that for one of the the uh, girl idol series called um love live I think yeah. they had a simulcast... The Golden Harvest Cinema did a simulcast thing of something that was going on at the same time in Japan.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there are like so. For example, the uh, was a girl Panzer, the tank thing, um, that played on the 4DX Cinema in uh, in Kok, and that was a huge, huge hit for that cinema um, because there's a big fan base for that type of stuff. Not like mainstream fan base, but pretty big fan base. Um, so you know. You never know what you get. I mean, they do have room for certain niche niche stuff uh, here, but um, I'm not sure what series, because, you know, like like you just said, I don't follow anime much. So I see it, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they're. Back in my Yes Asia days, when I had to write description for it, I followed it a bit closer. I wouldn't watch them, but I followed it a bit closer. But now I, I'm kind of out of the loop. Yeah. listening to the east screen west
1: screen podcast visit congcast.com for more and you have been listening to the east screen west screen podcast our theme music was composed by rob jabor of schnauzer radio orchestra Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Unless you're trying to sell us a book. We're really not interested in that. Um, (laughs) You can also find us on Twitter at concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at S. -S 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 west s as always please do follow along with kevin in all that he does so sir where can they find out more about you
0: well i am uh the entertainment editor of cathay pacific and cathay dragon's uh, discovery and circle magazine so you can read my work on those um airplanes um i am doing this once a month thing or once a week once an episode thing where i'm blanking on what i completely like completely blank on what i've written for the magazine so just fly the plane you see and the october issue is coming um and i'm also on twitter i am at the golden rock that's one word the golden rock um i have a web- website called Asia and cinema um that i hope to update very soon because i have a media partnership with a uh, film festival in poland called five flavors film festival and next episode we'll probably do a plug about about the, the programming they're doing um and you can read about it soon on asiancinema.com um and that's it you can email me at kevin at asiancinema.com
1: all right as always please do check out our friends at the podcast on fire network and all that they are doing as well Our next show should be episode 267, and I think Kevin will be talking about Europe Raiders from Europe. No, you won't be in Europe. Where will you be?
0: (laughs) Um, I'll be in Busan, Busan. actually. So the Soul soul Raiders would be the closest... (laughs) thing right no we're not doing so <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about golden job as well right you watch golden job
1: yes yes indeed we're um, going to be hopefully talking about uh, the return of the young and dangerous crew uh in their golden years right that's why it's called the golden job because they're getting up there um but yeah we'll be talking about that and more on our next show so until then this is the east green west Screen podcast saying plus ultra and that's a little my hero academy of there and we'll see you next time
0: see you next time everybody